0: Digital intercourse. Shit, this is like a magic goddamn (laughs) wizard pill. Yeah. That's
1: my pappy clap.
0: (laughs) Come
1: on. We're gonna use a condom.
0: Yeah. Digital intercourse. A nun comes in and slaps the shit out of you?
1: Yeah. I had far less penis than I had when I went in. (laughs) Digital intercourse. Does she show a titty afterwards? (laughs) Come on. Paul Paul chlamydia sitting on the rocking chair. Digital intercourse. <laughs> the world is an ending and women have vaginas? <laughs> yeah. But it was the day that I learned girls don't pee out of their butt. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Digital Intercourse, the shame-busting podcast from the buckle of the Bible Belt. My name is Tom King and I am co-hostless today. Uh, Kara's out dumping loads all over America. Take that to me, whatever you will. Uh, she, and uh, and then Rachel's out doing her thing as well. So I'm here flying solo, but we've got a great guest for you today. Uh, and I want to let you know, if you're here for your first episode, you've picked a great one. we got some really kinky stuff for you today. If you're coming back, if you've listened to us before, we're great. We're glad to have you here. Uh, and do us a favor, since you already liked it enough to come back, go ahead and rate and review. Give us one of those five-star reviews. Give us a nice, kinky, sexy rating. Let us know how much you love the show uh and we'll we'll roll from there we appreciate it and that helps other people find our kinky sexy goodness and the kinky sexy goodness we found today is i am joined in studio by ray hi there how are you guys doing today i'm doing great how are you good the weather got a little bit colder today you know, I don't
0: mind the cool. Don't I run mind. hot. So I mean, cool is nice.
1: Good for you. I I'm a summer guy. I, I don't I don't like the winter. And people always sell me on winter like, you can just put on clothes. Like that's exactly the thing I don't want to do. That's the whole point.
0: <laughs> I mean, I tell you what, if I'm home, I'm naked. So yeah, I'm with you. But at the same time, if I do have to wear clothes, I want to be comfortable. Dang. Summer for me is only good because then I can get on the water. Yeah. So my happy place.
1: Well, through this pre-interview, interview, interview, you found a few happy places, and we're going to talk about them all today. Uh, But let's start off the way we start off all of our interviews. Where are you from? Where would you go to church?
0: Um, Actually, I am an atheist member of All Souls Unitarian here in Tulsa. Um, Lived my life kind of all over the states until I moved to Oklahoma when I was 10 and um, haven't been able to escape yet, but I've found my people now. And, you know, I couldn't recreate the support system I have now anywhere.
1: Yeah, the, sometimes just finding your people is the escape. Like, that's enough right there for for at least
0: part of it. Right, and if you're going to be in Oklahoma, be in Tulsa.
1: Yeah, well, I've, I'm glad I've picked the right spot in Oklahoma to be in. <laughs> true, true. Uh, which is part of the reason of me moving here. Like, I found, like, oh, there's there's some comedy, there's some strip clubs. I bet there's kinky people in Tulsa, and sure as hell, there definitely are. <laughs> there are a lot of us. Uh, so you moved around. When did you move to Tulsa?
0: Um. Initially in 95, and then um, did a 10 years out in Owasso, uh, 2000 to, well, 2011, and uh, while my daughter was in school, it's just easier to not have to navigate the school system here in Tulsa, um, and the day she graduated high school, we put our application in on a place to move back to Midtown Tulsa. Empty nest life is fabulous.
1: Midtown Tulsa is, is the kinky part of town. I've learned this by living there myself. Like I know, like that's, there's a lot of gay people there. I know people with like a dungeon in their basement. (laughs) 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 Strippers live over there. Like there's all, that's all the good kink stuff is in Midtown. That's where you want to be.
0: It is. It is.
1: Uh, So you're, you're married. I am. And you're non-monogamous. Correct. Now, did this relationship begin non-monogamously? That's easy for me to say. Or did you evolve into that?
0: <laughs> that is something we started evolving into about five years ago. So until then, we had the very uh, known as normal, the stereotypical monogamous relationship. You know, we had the kid. We did all that. and um, But emptiness Life kind of opened up... New needs as well as new opportunities. You're not our first
1: guest to mention empty nest life bringing new opportunities. <laughs> so, uh,
0: I tell you, we uh, the weekend she moved out, we had empty nest sex every room of the house.
1: We haven't fucked on that before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you start leaving little sticky notes on places you haven't fucked before. It's right, like, right. Gotta cut uh, that off. Just you know, wherever the horniness overtakes us, <laughs> and we can.
1: Now, how long were you married before before the empty nest life happened?
0: So uh It's about eleven years and then uh together three years before that. Okay. So So you'd
1: had a, a very long established relationship before you even started to get into any non monogamy stuff? Yes. Yes we did. Was there was there a certain kind of conversation or a triggering point that got that started
0: um it actually was uh one of the things was that uh, I went through a severe depressive episode on top of this empty nest life kind of after that started and it put a real strain on our relationship and so we were in couples counseling and I made a comment about having a fantasy of having sex with two men and that You know, I'd never really pursued that because one time I'd mentioned it. My husband was very uninterested and you're not going to push something on someone who doesn't want something. So, but then when I made comment uh, during that appointment, it did catch his attention. And so then that started a conversation later and he started uh, opening up about having bisexual feelings and wanting to try to give a blow job um, because I love doing that. And he's like, I want to find out why you like that so much. And so we just started evolving and exploring from there. So it really was just kind of this comment that started an evolution.
1: So you started the pursuit of the, two men threesome. did
0: you achieve that goal uh yes we did um and you know we found a few partners uh not at the same time but kind of serendipitously the first one and then the second one we met through I actually made a personal on FetLife and we ended up on Life because someone suggested that as a place to find partners um and then the third one was serendipitously again um and then a little bit later, I'd gotten on the dating apps. Uh, one of the things we discovered during uh, the threesomes was how much my husband enjoyed watching me with other men. And so then, you know, the, the hot wife situation, and there it's very much the hot wife stag versus the hot wife cuck. Those are two really different kinks. Tell us a little
1: bit about the difference between those.
0: Um, mainly, it's a humiliation aspect.
1: That's what the cuck is, the human. Yes,
0: yes. So for both of them, there is pleasure in seeing uh, the partner with someone else um, in just the hot wife stag. And again, this is the the gendered into the situation I was in. in. In that, it's just a matter of watching and enjoying what you're seeing. With the cuckolding kink, it is very much enjoying that, but then it takes on other aspects with humiliation um, and much more of a psychological aspect to that. And so uh, when you really get in the kink world, those are quite different.
1: Yeah. So the stag is more of the, the Jerry Falwell Jr. Did you, did you hear about that? Yes, way? I did. <laughs> so, yeah, and he wasn't getting humiliated. He was very much enjoying the party there.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> and And, you know, being a hot wife, I'm like, Got no shame for doing that. (laughs) The shame is in acting like you don't. Right. Yeah. That. That's where he fucked up.
1: Um. So that that first experience, and kind of that first two men
0: threesome, was that? How did that come about? Um. You know, it was. So in Facebook, there are all kinds of sexy groups, and um yeah before they got the algorithms you could share pics and everything in there and now it's much more of a, a a talking and communicating and building support structures but there was one sexy group that I was in and conversation just started and moved to messaging and just kind of evolved and you know it's one of those talking about fantasies and finding out you're compatible and then meeting each other and um, it's it's much like dating, except you've got an extra person to try to work in compatibilities. Yeah.
1: Now, when it when it took place, was this just two men having sex with you, or was everyone kind of involved with everyone?
0: Everyone was involved with everyone. Okay. Um. So it's the MMF situation versus the MFM situation, yeah. and sometimes you know the differences the men play with each other in the MMF. And so it was a chance for my husband to explore. I mean, I was exploring a new situation as well. And so I found it very fulfilling to also see him, uh, you know, explore and find himself and enjoy what he was experiencing.
1: Had he played with men at any point before that?
0: Uh, No, he hadn't. Um, He grew up with a very religious background. And so uh he had his sexuality was very much repressed and you know something I recognized all the time in our marriage but then something we really talked about once things start opening up and exploring and so it was very fulfilling for me to see him start to learn who he is uh instead of just repressing every feeling
1: yeah yeah, that that's wild to 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 kind of be with someone when they're opening up and discovering about themselves. It's not so much of you discovering about him, which that's happening too, but then also he's discovering about him.
0: Right, right. And, um, you know, there was a point where there's then the question of, well, what if he figures out he's gay and not really bi? Uh, so did that worry you some? There was a fear about that. And, you know, I processed that and really thought about it. And the thing is, if that's who he is— that's who he needs to be. Yeah, And um, so kind of reconciling that was a process for me, but again, helped it become fulfilling for me to see him grow.
1: Yeah. Now, after it was all said and done, what kind of, was there aftercare, for lack of a better word? I mean, what conversations took place after that where the two of you kind of
0: figured out, yeah, this was good, we can do more of this? Uh, I think we just, um, well... (laughs) Aftercare mainly at first was just me enjoying the bliss of the situation. <laughs> I had a lot of fun myself. Um, there was quite a bit of time of them focusing on me as well as playing together. Oh,
1: that does sound fun. Two people have it focusing on you. <laughs> oh yes,
0: and I am here for it. Um, and then we talked. We talked about the things we enjoyed, um, and then well, what would we like to try next time and. Um, you know, this didn't really do much for me, but I'm glad I know. And so it was, you know, we were definitely ready for more experiences after
1: that. Were there things that didn't work for you? Maybe some boundaries that you didn't realize
0: were there until they came up? Um, one thing that came up was our first partner was into humiliation and that was so new to me at the time. Now
1: the, the partner was into receiving or giving humiliation? Receiving. Okay
0: um yeah i i do not receive humiliation (laughs) (laughs) but um that was something at the time that very much put me off i could not imagine doing that and through growth and then having some relationships where people someone really important to me was into receiving humiliation and having those conversations and learning to understand them and it's still not something that I personally am into, however, it's now something I can do if that is a need or a desire of a partner who is important to me. I'm not going to put that energy into someone who's just passing yeah. through my life, but if someone is important to me, I will give them that energy.
1: Yeah. So do you kind of have to maybe psych yourself up like a like a football player before a game? Like you got to get in the right headspace to do humiliation? Like. <laughs>
0: um a little bit you i mean especially understanding their motivation because when i'm doing it for them i it, the biggest thing is really understanding what they need and what that fulfills for them um and you know i it is does have to be someone who is important to me um not something i'll put into you know kind of a service topping type thing yeah so, you know, if it were a hookup and they're saying, hey, I want X, Y, Z, and I haven't even had the time to understand why they want X, Y, Z, much less develop the relationship to care about why they want i Z. I'm not going to give that to them. That is my energy to choose when to give to someone who matters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not that a hookup is a human that doesn't matter, but it's a much more transactional situation of you're trying to fill each other's needs at on the fly, say.
1: Yeah, it's not maybe as deep of an emotional connection. In, exactly, in like, it's like very a much a valid
0: or, relationship. Yeah, but it,
1: it does. It's different. Yeah, and you can still care about that person, but it's more maybe more of a temporary thing like you said just kind of a pass ships passing in the night <laughs> right
0: and and a much more physical situation yeah, you're looking too. for the physical and humiliation is very much psychological
1: now your relationship with your husband is this polyamorous or relationship anarchist how do you define this
0: we really consider ourselves relationship anarchists um and we don't do hierarchies you know each relationship is kind of a creature of its own It has value because it exists and it is important to us. Um, And so it's not a default of my husband's always most important. It's a balance. Our relationship has its value from what it is. And it's now 23 years together, 20 of that married. He is my life partner and my nesting partner. And for that, he has value and importance depending on the situation Uh, but other partners are also valuable and have roles in my life that are important and so if something comes up it's not a default to my husband comes out first Um, we don't do veto power that some people who are open have if he has concerns he can talk to me i value his input and then I make the decision from there of whether I would continue to see this person. And if so, what capacity? Um, and it, so it's the same with us. We, we always know where the other person is, who they're with, uh, just completely open. And I think our rule is pretty much treat each other with respect.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a good baseline for any relationship, really.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I think the thing about being non-monogamous and having multiple relationships is that the respect and communication that it requires among multiple partners is exactly what you need in a monogamous relationship. Uh, it's just that monogamous relationships kind of skip by without as much of that because of the default to just being them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's one of the things when we reviewed, uh, the ethical slut, uh, A lot of the communications that they talk about in that book, like, that's good for monogamy. Like, that's just good for friendships. Like, those key communication elements are good for every relationship you
0: have. (laughs) Absolutely. That was kind of one of my biggest, like, epiphanies when I first started reading and learning more uh, about non-monogamy and polyamory and having relationships, you know, beyond just sex with other people. uh, But these emotional relationships. And, you know, learning everything that applies to having multiple relationships applies to having a single relationship. Um, And so I've always appreciated the things I've learned because it's helped me build a stronger uh, relationship with my, you know, like I said, my nesting partner, my life partner. Um, There's also the possibility uh, that I end up with another life partner. You know, I've always envisioned kind of our old age with my husband of us sitting on, uh, you know, a porch in rocking chairs. There can be more than two rocking chairs. You know, relationships can build. I don't go looking for any specific type of relationship. It's whatever the connection is. What can I offer somebody? What can they offer me? But I don't rule out the possibility that that can happen. For either of us, yeah. you know, as long as it works and we continue to work and build our relationship, no other relationship can threaten us. Right. The only two people who can make or break our relationship are the two people in it. Yeah, that's so true.
1: Uh, and that, that's also very similar to my approach to polyamory. Like it doesn't mean that I'm necessarily looking for someone else or I'm looking for certain other needs to get met. It just means that I have that freedom of if a certain person comes around, we can explore our relationship for whatever it that relationship is. Exactly, has nothing to do with my primary partner. That relationship is there no matter what.
0: Right, right, and um, you know, learning to look at things that there is no expectation that this one partner fulfill all my needs, and that that is actually an unrealistic expectation. And
1: really. Overwhelming. Like that seems like a lot of weight to carry.
0: (laughs) It really does. And when you understand these are the things that this person can give me and can fulfill, and they are still just as valid when they, for the things they can't. I know what needs are unfulfilled, and I can seek to have those fulfilled. And that gives me the, you know, like I said, the freedom to, you might put it, live your best life. Yeah. Um,
1: Uh, Now, you mentioned that you and your husband don't have veto powers if you're seeing someone and and your your husband has some concerns. Do you have any examples of where maybe one of you was seeing someone and the other person had kind of some boundaries or some concerns about it and then you had to work through that?
0: um, Actually, we have. That's uh, kind of another issue, is that uh, when it comes to my husband being with men, I have no jealousy issues. I'm actually very excited for him because I am not a man. I cannot (laughs) fulfill those needs. However, when it comes to him having relationships with other women, I have a huge process of dealing with jealousy. Um, And that's mine to deal with. It is not his responsibility to not cause me jealousy. It is my responsibility to process it. And um, so it was really kind of one of the the first relationships he had. And it was a real struggle. We had a lot of communication issues. Uh, You know, as you hear a lot, opening things up can really expose the weaknesses in your existing relationship. Uh, There were many and things that we each individually needed to work through and learn. And it was a very rough time in our relationship. And I asked to step back and let's, you know, I was overwhelmed and, and asked him to end that. And he said, no. And that was kind of the point of, okay, this is where we are. Process it from there. And looking back now, I'm glad he did at the time. I was so hurt and angry uh, about it, but I see now, you know, kind of where the thoughts and the processes and the, you know, trying to protect myself from having feelings. And again, I shouldn't even be doing that. Have the feelings. And then don't be the psycho I used to be. Um, Working on my jealousy issues was something that started even long before uh, we started opening up. I was just one of those um, unreasonably, jealous and, uh, like I said, that those over-the-top behaviors in response. Um, and so that has always been my weakness to deal with. And uh, so already being on the process of working on that was very vital to when we opened up, and it's something I continue to work on. And the kind of epiphany there was the feelings are what they are. The behavior is what I choose. Yeah.
1: Now, you've talked about uh, some some group sex with another man involved and, and watching your husband play with men.
0: Have you been in the room? Have you watched him have sex with women? Uh, one time I did. Uh, it was actually set up that we were going to have sex with the man in a couple and the wife was going to watch. And at some point she involved She ended up involved in the sex. And so that was kind of our one swapping experience. And I found that because I was being pleasured at the time, I did not have uh, negative feelings seeing him having sex with another woman. Um, I still don't know if I could sit back and just watch him without having an interaction myself. It's not um, a dynamic that we've gone looking for. Uh, it's not something that I would try to stop from happening if that turned out to happen at some point. Um, you never know what situations you'll end up in in life. No. And look at them all as an adventure.
1: Now, you, so with that relationship, with the sex you just described with the other couple, that sounds more like a swingers. Have you been, been around the swinger community much?
0: That was pretty much our one swinging-type experience. Um, We really haven't been involved with the swinging community. We know plenty of people who are. Um, The focus on sex is a little, which is kind of funny, because it is sex that I'm seeking, but the lack of connection is unappealing to me. And the other thing we found as a swinging community is not very accepting of bisexual men and at activities occurring between men. It's very much about that bi-female energy they love to buy females they do i'm also a straight female um so y'all are
1: all wrong a straight female and a bi male you're doing it all wrong in the swinger community
0: (laughs) oh well just like everything in life i'm just gonna do this my way and y'all deal with it if it fits it fits if it don't fuck off that's right absolutely my mother would agree with that so hard (laughs) if if only we were out to her i could share this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um and it is really my uh family and coworkers are the only people that I'm not out with uh, as far as being non-monogamous or kinky. Um and that's something that is at least with my family, coworkers, they don't need to know. Yeah. But with my family, it is to the point where we want to come out to some degree. They don't need to know all the gory details, but at the same time uh, when there is a relationship that is important enough, we're not going to hide that person, and so it's at a point where they need to know something. Yeah. Um, and so we're, I'm, I've kind of been working on that with myself of how do I want to approach this. Of course, you always anticipate the response. You know, parents, especially. I've had that argument in my head so many times, yeah. and until I can. I think the big thing is I'm, I'm waiting until it's no longer an argument in my head so I can let my mother have her own reaction instead of the one I've decided for her.
1: That's a good plan. I can see that. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. that's been another lesson in all of this of not deciding how somebody is going to react to something that I have to say or do, yeah. which we is an easy trap to fall into when you've been in a relationship with someone for a long time, whether it's a parent or a partner. Um, how often do you just drop something and not bring it up because you assume what their reaction will be? Right. And so I've learned to let people respond for themselves.
1: Yeah, you've already had the conversation they just don't know it yet, like it's all <laughs> happening in your head, exactly. So the imaginary confrontation, I uh, mean, and
0: you'll do that, or at least I will, for the rest of my life because yeah. it's my mother, and
1: um, I need to get yeah. Do uh, now you, you've got a lot of kinks. Uh, I do. Do you have a higher sex drive than your husband?
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you've heard turn it up to 11. I'm much more like a 21. Uh, He's sitting around a two or a three. Uh, And, yes, sex is not so important to him in his life. It is extremely important to me. Um, It's definitely something that is fulfilling and uh, makes me go. A bit. It, it's part of what I need in my life.
1: Did that cause some tension earlier in your in your career, in your career, in your relationship? <laughs> <laughs> uh, like before before you became non monogamous, was that an issue?
0: It, um, yes, yes. Uh, really, you know, looking back now, it was an issue even before we got married. But definitely, the longer we were married, so the longer it was a disparate uh, set of needs and interests. Um, there were times that you know so many fights because my not understanding there's always that assumption that men should have high sex drives Mm -hmm. men should always want sex so if he didn't want sex that meant he didn't want sex with me so now what's wrong with me why don't you want me and all these things in my head and you know then project those onto him and now we're having fights and it caused a lot of discord to finally you know get to the point of understanding we are just different it's okay he he there's no expectations for his sex drive because he's male he is who he is and he has his drive and he's okay I am who I am and I have my very different drive and I'm okay Um, and so when the pressure wasn't there to try to to see him as the only person who could fulfill that for me, it makes it makes it possible to really accept that these this is who we are, and that's a difference we will always have. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk to people sometimes, and they'll start wanting to know, well, what's wrong with him? You know, does he have this? Does he have that? Why doesn't he? There's nothing wrong with him. He is fine. He is valid. That's just who he is. Um, And this is who I am. And there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not some oversexed nymphomaniac, you know. (laughs) I am a 47-year-old woman with a high sex drive and strong level of desire and just hugely open about sex. Uh, I'm extremely thankful to my parents for being raised uh, sex positive. And so that it's always been just this beautiful and fun and, you know, something that's just a great positive in my life, something I've always been able to talk about, uh, you know, talk with people and learn things, you know, just from friends and things. It's not something I've been inhibited. And like I mentioned, my husband grew up in a very religious and repressive uh, upbringing. And... that that always made me sad for him because even just him and I talking to this day, he struggles to just talk about sex. And um, those conversations are things that help bring you closer, even in our situation where it doesn't evolve into us having sex, just understanding each other better on the topic. And uh, he has come a long way, Seeing his struggle makes me appreciate the upbringing I had.
1: Yeah, definitely. Because we, we talk to a lot of people with that first question where are you from? Where'd you go to like, <laughs> church? You get a lot of wild answers. And, and surprisingly, like some people like yourself had really sex positive, then other people just, I mean, you just had real. I mean, I grew up pretty sexually repressed. Um, and that's, you see that, it's far too common that we see that out of people. And, it's very American. Yeah, it really is. And people want to say, oh, that's Midwest or the South. I was like, that's most, a, most of the country is the yep. Midwest and the South. Like that's a huge, when you put all of them together and then like with the, the, it's, yeah, it's just a huge thing in, in American culture, uh, that hopefully we're TikTok will get us past. I'm putting a lot of my stock in TikTok.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've just recently discovered it and it is a great, great place that <laughs> I haven't even found the kinky TikTok yet. It's out there. It is. Uh, now about you, are you, are you submissive? Are you dominant? I am dominant to the core of my being. Um, and that sometimes confuses people because when it comes to play, I will top or bottom. Um, if a, And so for people, a dominant who bottoms is switch. And I consider myself verse because there's just not a submissive bone in my body. And The dynamic of a DS is different from the play with the top bottom. And just for definition, since this may be confusing to some people, it simply is the top gives a sensation, the bottom receives a sensation. Play can be used to enhance and further uh, and just bond in a DS dynamic relationship. Those can also exist completely without play. Um, And when I say play, that can also mean sex, sexual play and non-sexual play. Um, All of mine is non-sexual because I have not yet found a partner within the lifestyle that we have the same interests in play. Um, It could happen. It might not. But that doesn't prevent me from enjoying what I enjoy both as a top and as a bottom. And so as a dominant, that's kind of my issue is being seen in what we consider public spaces as far as dungeons um, they are private but to be seen in the community bottoming while remaining a dominant because they're different and so I like I always like blowing people's minds that's
1: (laughs) defying expectations (laughs) yes yes that is definitely me so you are a, a dominant. Yes, I am. Uh, so when you say DS, you're talking about dom and sub. Exactly. Uh, but you will bottom in a scene. Yeah. So I, I think one of the things you described to me in the, the pre-show interview is that you will, you will bottom for people in scene, but you are submissive to no one.
0: <laughs> exactly. And so one of the things I used to give an example is, what's the difference between a spanking and ass slaps? Authority. I love having my ass slapped during sex but that person can't make me kneel. Okay. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. Yeah. And so I love rope. I am a consummate rope bottom where I go in headspace When that rope hits, my skin is amazing. So it's a matter of finding a top who a wants to tie with someone with this glorious Godness figure, which isn't as common. They like the stick figures cause you can just throw them through the air. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so it's making a connection with someone who likes to tie for the tie. Um, And they are out there as well. And it's just about the rope and giving that sensation and having that sensation. Um, And it's not a sexual connection. And that's okay. Uh, I also love electricity uh, as both a top and a bottom. It's exhilarating and fun and exciting, and it makes me giggle and laugh as a bottom. Well, and then it makes me smirk as a top. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I recently had a scene with a friend uh, with both, as a bottom, uh, with both rope and electricity. And it was the first time I had anything combined. And it was an absolute blast. Um, he is a sadistic son of a bitch, and, which meant I had to be very careful in negotiating you know, the, what was excluded. Um, cause like, my nipples are very sensitive. Those are for pleasure only. He wanted to zap the fuck out of them. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's where you negotiate. Um, so, but we, we just had a great time, laughed my ass off. At no time is he ever dominant to me. And so when I do bottom, someone is service stopping me, essentially. Uh, they are giving me the sensation I want. Now, he likes to top with rope. He likes to top with electricity. And he's a sadistic son of a bitch. So it's getting what I want out of him, him getting what he wants out of me, but meeting in that middle of not you know, letting him do the things that I don't want. Yeah. Whereas, you know, sometimes in a DS, I don't care if you don't like that. Mm-hmm. I'm the dom, you're the sub and I'm going to do this um, within limits that are established. Mm-hmm. Now, there are people that, you know, there's a limit and then there are things I just don't like that. And where I can say negotiate, I just the, I just don't like that things because I have that power not being his submissive. Um, submissive might have things they just don't like. And today the dominant doesn't care. And not callously, yeah. just that, hmm, today I feel like doing this thing you don't like. Too bad. Yeah,
1: play in the yellows and leave the reds alone. Right, right. right.
0: <laughs> and I'll, I will I will readily admit, he got me to yellow a few times.
1: <laughs> Which he was trying to, I'm sure. If he's that Yes, <laughs>
0: and, and that's kind of the goal. Get up there as much. But, you know, I've never had to red out of a scene, um, and I like that. I, I hope I don't. Because, you know, that means something's gone wrong. Uh, somebody has not respected my boundaries. Um, so hopefully we can stay out of those situations. Be prepared. It could happen. Yeah. Um,
1: it- Electric play is something that, that fascinates me. I like to watch it. I'm not sure I want to be a part of it. <laughs> as a top, I don't know enough about it to know that I can safely do it to someone. So I'm going to stay out of that for right now. Uh, as a bottom, I've, I've seen, uh, we had it, there was a a very short bald man that came and did an electric uh, demo one night. Is that the same guy you're talking about? Yes, he about?
0: actually was the, the person who talked to me for my very first scene ever. Um, and it was with electricity and he is wonderful. He's been a mentor to me among many of the, uh, people in the community and, um, definitely still, uh, contact him for advice and input. Um, very close person to me and he is fabulous. He
1: yeah, he I've only been around him a couple of times when he was presenting at Dungeons, but he's a fascinating person. Uh and the first time I saw him he had a whole array of uh he had the Violet Magic Wand. I think he had a few like generations of the of those types of wands. Yes. Uh and the first one he bought it was like a little plastic thing, you know, just in a little shock. And I tried that and it was like, Oh, that's very tingly. Uh, and then he kept getting more and stronger and stronger. And he brought out one that he called the evil motherfucker or something. Like yes. That. It's the like motherfucker. This, yes. This big giant, like metal fork that just fucking, it left marks on people. Like he shocked yes. the fuck out of people with this. <laughs> have you seen this toy? Oh yes. Have you experienced this toy? I have. Holy shit. <laughs> All right. Tell us about that.
0: <laughs> um, it is one of the more intense ones. Uh, so if it's uh random, it, you know, just out of nowhere feeling it, which I have, it is an oh, holy fuck. Um, if it's in a scene and you've worked up to it, it's gonna make me just keep giggling. And, you know, again, I may yell, but then I'm really digging it. (laughs) Um, I really do like to ramp up to pretty high levels of electricity as a bottom. As a top so far, I've been sticking to sensual scenes. And um, then I had one young man who came back for a second scene and said he did want to try to ramp it up more and see what he could take. So that was kind of fun to, um, to push him a little bit. It gave me some more experience as a top. Uh, One of the things that I'm very concerned about is learning and being educated. Um, Obviously, I can't know everything until I get the experience, but it's important to me to not just go out there and try until I learn about something. Uh, Another thing I learned about myself is I can't conceptualize doing something until I've experienced it. Okay. So, uh, so a lot of your bottoming is
1: a learning experience.
0: It can be. It can be. Okay. Um, you know, Sometimes it's, I don't even know if I like this. Let me try it. Um, But one situation was flogging. I hadn't experienced flogging before and um, someone was starting to teach me how. And I could get the hang of it, but there was just a connection that I didn't have to it because I had no idea what the sensation was like to receive. Um, So after that, I arranged with a friend and dominant uh, with a lot of experience to give me an intro scene with uh, different types of floggers so I could understand what the different sensations were. Um, I haven't had a chance to go back and learn that as a top, uh, just because I've been doing so many other things, um... But now when I'm ready to go back and really learn how to do that to give that sensation, I have a concept of what it's doing. And now I have that connection to the type of play. Um, So I will absolutely bottom for that learning position. But if it's something I enjoy, I will bottom for it to get the pleasure.
1: It's like rope is not, you know, rope. You're learning, you're you're bottoming for rope because you like bottoming for rope.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I do. And I connected with that away from rope. Somebody was just describing a tie they did and then it was a chest harness that kind of left a handle in the back and he did a hand motion as he talked about just kind of grabbing that handle and giving a wiggle, you know, giving him a shake and seriously, I felt that through my entire body. Um and so I have zero desire to top with rope if I need to secure somebody down, give me some cuffs, give me some You know, whatever, quick, because I just want them secured. Um, Where rope for me is a very delicate, it's a long process. It's about the tie.
1: Yeah, it really is. When I I do my ties, and what you learn when you start tying or watching people tie uh, is that the amount of time you spend in the tie is usually shorter than the amount of time you spend tying and untying. Like, that's the bulk of that scene.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's where there's so much opportunity to connect with the person that you're tying or the person who's tying you with the tension and the handling skills. And absolutely, like you said, the, the amount of time in the tie is nice, but it's the getting there and getting back. And uh, I heard one top describe it as... His scene doesn't end until the rope is all put away. And so it's very much he's still thinking about versus some people getting to the tie is the point. It's Tie them up and, and the untie is not really part of what they're thinking. And I very much enjoy it when someone sees the entirety of the tie and the untie as the scene. And the untie is just as important, just as much opportunity to connect yeah it really is
1: um, now you said you've also said that you learn like to learn a lot like you yes. studied a lot about this uh, have you where did you start studying did you have some mentors um i do
0: i it's kind of a funny journey um, kind of stumbled into learning about the dungeons which if the first person who told me about them described them as kink clubs And, but she's also the one who told me how to find them on FetLife. And, um, now the way I tell people is they go to FetLife, go to the events page. If they're having events, they'll be on there. Follow those links. They'll tell you how to get in.
1: And when you're doing that, you can find events just in your area. Even if you don't know the name of. The specific club or dungeon, right?
0: Right. Um, if you go to Fet Life, the events page, it'll look in your area and it's just a list. So, you know, it's just filtered by distance or, you know, the area where they say the um, event is happening. Uh, you know, the, that's also a great place to look for munches yep. and meetups. Yeah, of course, not so much these days. But when we, right. get, when we get back to real life, this is just a temporary adjustment. Yeah. Long term, but it's temporary and we will get back to real life. And then when you're ready to people again, uh, munches are in public places. So you don't have to go through vetting to get to those. With the dungeons, there is a vetting process uh, because they do want to keep those safe. Uh, you don't get the location until you've passed the vetting. Um, so I kind of went through the different dungeons and finally uh, ended up at DSdu, which is Dungeons Down Under, and um, finding Mistress Karen and the group. It's www group, wonderfully wicked women, and so it is a group of female dominants who absolutely took me, have taken me under the wing. They're very much my support system in the lifestyle. Um, we learn so much from each other and they are people whom I trust implicitly, especially Mistress Karen. Uh, I have let her do so many things to me, uh, definitely in, in the process of learning as well as just fun, so I can trust her. And that is a huge thing when it comes to doing some of the fucked up things we do, um, And really fun things we do. uh, Which are not
1: not mutually exclusive. The really fucked up things and the fun things all blend together. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I mean, sometimes somebody else might not be having fun, but I am. Um, And so it's been a great learning environment. Another thing that is a benefit in a dungeon atmosphere is you can watch all different kinds of play. Uh, I'm very much someone that I sit back and I watch and I absorb until it clicks in me and I, now I'm ready to try. Now I'm ready to experience this. I'm ready to learn learn this hands-on. And I just wait until that click happens inside and then I move forward. Um, my first year in the dungeon, I had one scene it was the one we were talking about earlier and my second year I had three or four uh I made my goal of 2020 to just get out there and play because there was a little bit of nervousness holding me back and so it's kind of I'm not one for new year's resolutions but for 2020 it was to get out there and play and um Since the dungeon has reopened, that is something I've been doing a lot of, and I've really been enjoying it. And one of the ways I've been doing that is uh, as a demo bottom for Mistress Karen. Oh,
1: that's fun.
0: So um, I am very much an exhibitionist. So, you know, being in front of a number of people uh, is exciting to me. And then getting to learn new things. Recent one was figging, uh, which real quick is putting ginger in uh, the different orifices, they can go in the ass, in the vagina. You can put them in the urethra, um, and it does create uh, a warming to burning sensation, uh, depending on the person and how long you leave it in there. Um, for me, it at its worst, and I know this grosses some people out, but I think it's hilarious. At its worst, in my vagina, it felt like a yeast infection that burned instead of itches, it wasn't horrible. Um, I've had some warming lubes that were not quite that intense, but until it got to that intense, it very much felt similarly. Um, the next person who got up to try it, as soon as a piece was inserted, she was like, oh, I feel that. Uh, Whereas for me, it took several pieces and then the pulp and some juice. And so, how you interpret sensations and this goes across the board depends on how you experience something.
1: Um, Yeah. And and figging is a thing that I've not, I don't think I've ever seen that live. I've definitely seen some friends of mine on FetLife that have done some figging. And and so I've seen that, uh, but I've never, I've never like topped for that. I don't think I ever will bottom for it, (laughs) but it's one of those things. It's like, you don't even think about that as being a kink thing until you hear about it and then you, you see people doing it and talking about it it's it's uh it's it's one of the more interesting things and I've it, been around <laughs> it
0: really is and that was actually the first demo I ever saw at a dungeon and um so I saw it and I was interested but none of my partners were ever interested in trying it and so the situation came up where they needed a bottom for the demo and I volunteered because I wanted to try it and it also gave me the concept, so now I'm fine with topping as well. And um, so, but then some of the others recently was for knife play. And uh, there was a particular knife that is not sharp and the tip is rounded and it's actually insertable. So I have been fucked with a knife. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was that like? Um, It, it was really interesting and very pleasurable, um, you know, because like I said, it's not pointy, it's not sharp, so it wasn't cutting me inside. Uh, there is some excitement because it is still a freaking knife. Yeah, it's
1: a knife in your vagina. It's Yes, like- <laughs> um,
0: and but with additional stimulation, she brought me to orgasm with it. I mean, I'd already been aroused with all the other knife play. That's kind of how it finished. And it was a really cool experience, uh, you know, and again, in the hands of someone I really trust. So I was able to relax. Yeah. You enjoy have to it. trust somebody before they're going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: another level of trust to reach. Yeah. Go ahead and stab me with a knife. It's right.
0: <laughs> um, well, you know, and it's funny, a few weeks earlier, I had actually let her cut me, uh, for blood cupping, uh, was curious. What's that like? So, Hey, I'll bottom for that. Sure and that was a completely different situation of course and uh cleanliness scalpel single use to make the cuts um everything she used on me had been uh disinfected but again this is something i trusted her to do and that was really really cool that totally thrilled my inner 12 year old boy because just the blood and it was fascinating (laughs) uh yeah so they're just all kinds of different things and when you've got trust in someone, it it really matters.
1: Yeah, yeah that that's huge. Uh, now let let's circle back to this www the yes the, the wickedly wild women or wildly wicked women wildly wicked women. So
0: how did you get started in this group? What? Um, well, I said I I finally ended up at DSDU uh, after working my way through the other dungeons, and it was really the right fit, the right energy for me. They. Each have their own energy, and so it is a matter of finding the one that fits you, Uh, and this was my place, and so Mistress Karen both owns DSDU and runs the WWW group, so once I was there and getting to know them, uh, and they got to know me, and really see that yes, I am a dominant person, and I really need this mentorship and room to grow, They accepted me into the group, and it has just been a wonderful um, support and guidance in my path as a dominant, Uh, really helping me as we are all very different women with this one aspect of ourselves that is similar. And so everyone's differences contributes to the group uh, and to everyone's growth. You know, even Mrs. Karen, the most experienced person in the group, learns from us. you know, the rest of us. we learn from her, we learn from each other. Um, and so there's also been um, again, in the situation of sitting back watching and learning and absorbing because I recognize this group of so much input.
1: Yeah. Now, when you when you get together, is it just discussion or do you sometimes have men around that will sub for you in this group?
0: Um, men and women. OK. Um, we do not discriminate on who can be the submissives. Um, and often it is more of a meeting and we talk, you know, pick. we have a topic as it pertains to us as dominant women. Um But most recently, we actually did, had our meeting was a foot worship uh, class. And so we brought in a number of submissives to, uh, were interested in learning how to do that. So they weren't necessarily our own. Uh, For a few of us, they were. I do not currently have a submissive. However, there is a new relationship that's evolving and he feels submissive around me. So I invited him to come to that one, which he did. And so that was a really neat moment for us um, because we're just exploring how the dynamic fits with us as opposed to trying to impose it on top of our relationship. Um, Other people, there were, you know, a number of uh, submissives who just wanted to learn and they paired up with some of the dominants that don't currently have a submissive we're no less a dominant person if we are not in a dynamic with the submissive. Uh, That is a very important relationship, a deep relationship that takes a lot of work uh, from both people. And, you know, it's actually a very good feature when people recognize they don't have the space in their life, whether it's the energy, the time, whatever to, adequately give to a relationship with a submissive and trying to do so would be a disservice yeah um and yet we still have each other you know someone who doesn't have one um and outside of this relationship i'm starting to explore i do not have one i um and that's okay i'm you know we are all still dominant women um and then we twice a year have uh A play party where uh it's the women all female dominance and then submissives of all gender uh if men are a switch they definitely have to be in the bottom or submissive role that night um then women get to be who they are and so it's a really nice situation to you know a couple nights a year really have that female dominant energy uh throughout the dungeon um but we don't have to have that every time, if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, that, that's perfectly uh, understandable. Uh, DSDU, I've been there a couple of times. It's a really fun place uh, to play. That is also the place where the first time I saw um, sounding.
0: Oh yes, I saw that
1: happen there. Uh, that was a wild scene. <laughs> uh, and then I'm, I've got I've got a partner that really enjoys that swinging bed. That oh they have yes, there, they've got like a kind of a a, a bed really. Yeah, uh, it's suspended from the chains in the ceiling and just getting to tie someone down to that or have sex with someone on that is just that's a wild cuz she'll be blindfolded for it too she likes to just feel oh yes the suspension of it have you been on that piece of furniture i
0: i have um and i have actually been tied on that one it was just kind of a freestyle thing after one of the rope classes one night uh the it was a really small class since the instructor and the person i ended up pairing up with for class felt like doing some more ties and I'm like okay tie me (laughs) um and yeah so it was you know I laid down on the suspension bed and you know it's got that hard point ring coming down as well and so they you know just Did a a moon boot tie on one, had some toe rope going on another leg, had one arm going one way, the other arm going the other way. And then they came back in and started tying rope around the ropes to just increase the tension. And I swear the tighter it got, the bigger my smile got. And I mean, after a good rope scene, my face hurts from the smiles because when you're doing it right, I smile. And that's kind of my thing. Um, So it is, it's a great fun place to play.
1: Yeah, it really is. What what gives you the most smiles when you're when you're getting what is it about the rope that makes you smile? You know, I don't know. You don't know. <laughs> it just feels good and that's it, it is just
0: it comes from the core of my being and it is. It's when that it, it again, this is my other happy place. You know, I meant to mention about the water. That yeah. is my vanilla happy place. Rope is my kinky happy place. And that hits my skin and I start going there. Uh recently someone described watching me in a rope scene. Um, and they said, I look very Zen. And that very much is, I just, it is almost meditative. Um, and I've recently seen something and they attribute part of it that it triggers your parasympathetic, uh, nervous system. And that was kind of a new concept to me. I'm like, okay, I get it, but now multiply that by a thousand because I really do just, it, it hits something in me. And that's why I am a bottom for rope. I don't get whatever that is when I, you know, and I've, I've tried topping a little bit, especially in classes. Um, it does not fulfill that as, as happens as a bottom. And um, so that's why I'm not concerned about finding a sexual rope partner because the tie is very much what I'm looking for. Uh, and yeah, to take me to that happy place, that zen state is just amazing. It, it's, And that's, I was about to say, it's kind of like a drug in a way, which brings a point why it's very important to be sober when you were playing um, because the play does affect your brain very much like a drug and you want your brain to be fully capable of to do that from the play. Uh, as opposed to having it, those receptors already bound up with some drugs or alcohol.
1: Yeah, and and DSDU is one of those dungeons that doesn't allow any they don't any beverages or or anything at the place.
0: Correct. It is a completely dry and sober dungeon. That's another thing that I really appreciate about it, um, because it is about safety. Uh, and that was a lesson I learned one time just through getting ass slaps during sex. But my lover and I were both pretty lit at the time so I could not interpret just how hard he was hitting me he could not interpret just as hard how hard he was hitting me and the next day my ass was black and blue um I bruised easily but this was over the top and when I sent him the pictures he felt bad uh we both learned our lesson and fortunately it was just through some ass slaps during sex and not something that was very could have been life or limb threatening um so i also learned that you know, if you're impaired you're not interpreting the sensation that you're giving or receiving adequately and so there's very much the safety issue as much as getting the most out of the play uh that you can because your mind your brain and the receptors are available to receive that sensation if that yeah that physiological aspect of it
1: yeah and that would be yeah, I mean depending on whether to play, that can be really dangerous more than just Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh for example, I know you've talked a lot about electrical play. Uh obviously that's something you definitely don't want to do if you're drunk. <laughs> right. Uh but just, just sober minded, what what kind of risk are there
0: that people might not immediately realize when you're doing electrical play? Um well, uh being burned, of course. No. Uh, there are aspects like you p- person with a pacemaker is oh, not yeah. uh, a candidate for electrical play.
1: Yeah, that would be make sense,
0: yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so how do you know,
1: because I we've talked about, like, the motherfucker. There's some pretty intense stuff. So how do you, is it you just kind of ease
0: your way into it? How do you know what is
1: going to work for you and what is going to burn you in a way that you don't want? <laughs>
0: uh, really, the the key is to build up. Uh, and the level of experience someone has, you know, is going to, Uh, give you a clue on how much you can push them. There's always a lot of feedback Uh, in negotiations. You do, you talk about their experience and how intense do they like things to go or are they prepared for something to go. Um, You know, kind of one of the questions that we talk about as tops is asking, what do you want to get from this scene? Uh, So if it's someone that just says, I've never tried this, you know, I know that what they're really wanting to get is an intro experience. That's something you wouldn't necessarily take them up to the motherfucker for. You give them the intro, and then if they like it, they can come back and you talk again. Now, what would you like to get from a scene? What aspects would you like to explore? What did you like? What didn't you like? Then you can look at taking it up to the next level. Now, if somebody who is experienced, they come in, and then you have the talk about what have you done? What do you like? What don't you like? Uh, you know, and definitely work out uh, your communication of, and you mentioned that before, the yellow-red, you know, the green-yellow-red. And, you know, someone who's very new, you want to stick in the green area for them so they can really just interpret the situation without having to process uh, too many intense sensations. Um, Someone experienced says, oh, no, I like, you know, these aspects of Of the sensation, and I like really strong, sharp sensations from the electricity. Then you kind of, you still are going to work up because one person's idea of sharp sensations is different from somebody else's. Um, And then you kind of work up and build, and there's just a lot of checking in. Um, And, you know, and then you make sure you discuss the risks. You understand, okay, if we max out this wand and I hit you with the motherfucker, it could burn you. And they say, okay, I, I understand that risk because they've had some experience with electricity. Then you can go forward. If they're brand newbie, that's not where we're going to go. Yeah, you've also
1: mentioned water being your happy place. Yes. Uh, Has water ever not been your happy place? Have you been waterboarded, for instance?
0: (laughs) I actually have. That was also a demo recently. Um, And while I was not the demo bottom for that one, they did give anyone who wanted a chance to experience it an opportunity. And I'm pretty much usually up there going, ooh, I want to know what that's like. Um, And it was intense it was rough um it was done with the washcloth over the face and the water poured over it um and you know fortunately we had a very quick i tapped out of that really quickly uh there was someone else who came up who could really take it and understand it and just process it and deal that was not me yeah. um but did, did it feel like you were drowning what was the sensation like um it did not feel like drowning because their water, water wasn't in my mouth. Right. Um, but it was just that freaky. I can't get air. I can't breathe. Uh, you know, and again, there wasn't the fear aspect because I knew once I gave the signal, it would be done. Right. Um, where I've been swimming before mm-hmm. and overwhelmed. And then I've had the out water actually getting in my mouth and my, you know, coughing, So I've had that aspect of fear in the water because the real danger was there, but it, the, the waterboarding experience was definitely, um, I'm going to say exhilarating, but not necessarily in the good way, like electricity (laughs) is for me, but it, it, I mean, it hit those senses and ramped things up, uh, for me because it is still scary when you can't breathe. Yeah. Um, Is that something you think you would ever top for? Boy, I don't know. Um, that is definitely an advanced technique that is not on my agenda to learn in the immediate future. Uh never say never though. Yeah.
1: What, what is on your agenda for the future? You got any things coming up that you want to try?
0: Um, actually I do. I'm learning, wanting to learn more and get into impact as a top. Okay. Um, And so as I've been learning some of these other things like the electricity and just sitting back and watching and learning, uh, here and there, I've picked up some impact toys and now kind of like that, that point, that spirit is moving me and now it's time I'm ready to beat some ass. Um, (laughs) like
1: a natural progression for a femdom, just, you you know, know, you get there.
0: And so, you know, under the guidance of my ladies, as I call them, capital L of course, um, under their guidance and tutelage, I'm going to start learning how to use these toys, how to build an impact scene, um, because that's also part of it. You know, when you do scene with someone, you don't just walk in and start wailing on them. Right. You know, there, there's a getting to know them. There's a warming up. There's a building connection. And then figuring out where you're going to go and at what point does it end? Yeah. Um, you know, and is that a satisfactory point for both of you? Um, so I certainly have a lot to learn. I'm very excited, uh, to take this next step, uh, and just try out all these fun, evil things. And, uh, I, you know, it it has been happening some topping with electricity, but there is definitely a sadist inside me and it really feels good to let her out. Um, you know, it's, and what's kind of funny is I've, even just dated guys, that they flinch when I smirk.
1: <laughs> you have mentioned
0: smirking a few times. On yes, this. Well, I, yes, I, I it is definitely. They know what's behind that smirk. <laughs> it, yes, it is, you know, uh, the light in my eyes and the smirk, definitely devilish, and th- that's where the sadist is happening, for sure.
1: Uh, do you want to share with us what some of these new impact toys you've acquired?
0: Um. So I... <laughs> One of the things during lockdown was I shopped so much. And so 3 a.m. one night, I ended up ordering, it's a fiberglass cane. Um, So it is very inflexible and gives a hard thuddy uh, versus the stingy sensation uh, that a lot of canes will give because they've got some flexibility Uh, And with that was this beautiful paddle that's made with layers of this colored wood. And then on one side, it's then uh, ground in some cross-hatching. So it leaves these beautiful diamond marks. Um, I have found an Etsy called Beatings on a Dime that uh, does all upcycled toys and so one of the things I have from them is they call it a demon tail. And it's just a small triangular, uh, what would normally you be on a dragon's tail, like made of leather. This is actually made from vinyl. Okay. And um, yeah, the handle, uh, at the end of the handle is a marble drawer pull. And the handle's like a metal tube. So it's all these, you know, picked up different places, like upcycled thing. Also from them, uh, with the handle being from uh, Fireplace Poker, is then a cable whip. So it's a metal cable that comes out of it.
1: A metal cable? Yes. Oh, shit.
0: Yes. Um, I have some really uh, mean toys, apparently. Uh,
1: Yeah, do you have... A bottom in mind that wants to be bottom with a metal cable? (laughs) Because that sounds pretty intense.
0: It it can be, um, which is why it is important to me to learn how to use it properly. Okay. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, You know, because one of these things is every sensation you inflict um, should be intentional. Right. Uh, So I need to know what I'm doing with these toys. I need to know where to not uh hit with these toys uh so that is one of the things of finding someone who is a serious masochist who wants to bottom for me understanding it is learning so i'm not going to be a perfect aim Um, so they're willing to take that risk with me Uh, and uh which fortunately we have several of those who also attend the dungeon regularly and because I do go practically every Saturday night, you build relationships with people. So not just my femdom group, but with everyone who attends. So other dominants, male dominance, uh, female dominance who are not in the group, uh, as well as uh, the submissives. You know, you get a chance to get to know them, get to know what they like, hear their input uh, from that general perspective. So I think there are probably a couple different candidates that would be willing to work with me. Um, and see, one of the ladies in my femdom group has recently said she can't wait till I start topping with impact because she just knows I'm going to be an evil bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm really excited and looking forward to it. And that's one of the things I said that that readiness inside me is there and it's a Important to me to have that because until I feel it, pushing myself before I feel ready inside is unsafe.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And you really have to bring that energy to a scene. If you don't have that energy, that forward energy, that readiness, uh, and the right headspace, you really shouldn't be playing with someone. Um, And the same thing, you know, whether you're a top or a bottom. Everybody has, but, you know, like when you have a really bad day is not necessarily the day to take an implement to somebody's body. Right. Um, you you want to channel that sadism and be intentional, not just work out your free area on someone. Um, and so knowing things like that is important. You know, something that I've definitely learned from the influence of the people I've met and um so uh I've kind of gotten off track <laughs> <laughs> I can nice. just keep talking about it all this thing yeah and we're just gonna lay out and let you keep talking about it <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: but that's great and I think your approach to everything of being very intentional and, and learning things before you dive into it uh is really really the only safe way to get into kink I, I got into it uh, rope was my main thing that I top with uh and I saw it and saw everybody doing like really really cool suspensions and everything looks so beautiful and they're doing transitions. So they will have her suspended one way and then flip around another way. It's like, cool, I can do that. And then I did my first tie, like just a little photo on a, on a leg. I'm like, Mine doesn't look like everyone else's. I need to calm the fuck down. When I start throwing <laughs> people in the air. You, uh, nothing like
0: doing it to make you realize the how challenging it really is. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, thank you so much
1: for coming on. This has
0: been a fascinating
1: conversation. Uh, if anybody wants, do you have anything to plug? Do you have any social media you want people to check out or be aware of?
0: Um, you know, if anybody wants to ask about anything, I am on FetLife as ISIS, I S I S underscore S. Um, and the if you'll know you got the right one, the profile pic currently is purple shoes. Purple shoes, Isis underscore s. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh,
1: you can find us on the Instagrams at ShameBusters. Uh, I, of course, knob underscore certainly you can find me on Instagram and my only fans page so you can find me doing slutty funny comedy stuff on there. Uh, but you were great and we look forward to hearing all about your impact play once you figure out how to beat the shit out of people. <laughs> Absolutely. I would love to tell you how that goes. My name is Tom King. Thank you all so much for listening. And oh, one one, one mo- most important things I completely forgot. Do you like butt stuff? I do. You do? Well, then you definitely need to check out our sponsors over at PeggingToys.com. Yes, I do. Uh, They've got uh, hygiene products, lubricants, strap-ons, but so much more than just strap-ons. They're more than just pegging. They've got anal beads and butt plugs and all sorts of stuff to have fun in your back door hole. So check them out. Enter promo code digital for 10% off your first purchase at PeggingToys.com. Have you pegged anybody before, Ray? Yes, I have. Do you want to do it again? Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, we're going to get off into another. I was about to wrap this up, but now we need to talk about pegging. Tell us a little bit about your first or any of your interesting pegging uh, assortions.
0: Um, I'm actually into sensual pegging. Not necessarily the the femdom aspect that a lot of people are more familiar with. Um, And so far, it has just been with my husband. Uh, Should I have another partner who is into it? I am all about it. Uh, But it's been very nice, you know, when men realize there is a lot of pleasure to be had through their asshole. um, And the setup I have is actually a double ender. So it goes inside me, as well as inside my partner, I do wear that with a harness, so I don't have to concentrate on trying to keep it in me. Um, So it is also very connective. And it's all about the pleasure where I Uh, in the aspect that I do it, I am all about pleasure.
1: Um, With that high sex drive, you got to have that pleasure in there. Bingo.
0: I mean, what's the point if you're not getting (laughs) off? Um, And so, you know, we and my husband was the first and like I said, so far only. But because we had those years of comfort level with each other, we were able to just go slow and experience and experiment and find out how we liked it and share some really beautiful intimacy through pegging. Well,
1: that's great. And you can share all your intimacy and pegging, peggingtoys.com. Thank you so much for coming on. Her name is Ray, my name is Tom, and this has been Digital Intercourse.